Post Reports is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post brand studio. From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi there, is the mayor in? Marissa Lang with The Washington Post. Hey, it's Dossie. I wanted to pick your brain on the truck. Hi, my name's Jenna Johnson. I'm a This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, December 31st. Today, how Elizabeth Warren intends to win over non-white voters. Plus, what's in and what's out in 2019, and the story behind an enduring pop classic. Almost from the moment Elizabeth Warren entered the political scene, this question has been in the air. Will she run for president? I've been covering her in some form or another since 2013. And this question of what does she want has hung over my coverage for the entire time. And there's always been the sense that she could become a presidential candidate. Annie Linsky is a political reporter for The Post. Right now, she's in Cambridge, Massachusetts, home to Elizabeth Warren. And the question of whether Warren would run got answered on Monday morning, when Warren announced that she has established an exploratory committee, basically the precursor to a presidential run. But I think for Warren, um, announcing early is just about really getting out of the gate first. You know, she has been dithering and thinking and wondering about this for the entire last cycle. And I think that she wants to project some confidence and assuredness because some people think that Warren has a lot to atone for, particularly the video that she put out this past fall where she announced the results of a DNA test that she said backs up her claims of Native American ancestry, a move that alienated a lot of people. But there was no mention of that in her announcement. I've spent my career getting to the bottom of why America's promise works for some families, but others who work just as hard slip through the cracks into disaster. And what I've found is terrifying. These aren't cracks that families are falling into. They're traps. America's middle class is under attack. When I was looking at the video, I was looking to see, is Warren going to sort of double down on the persona that she has presented the country for the last six to eight years as this fighter? Or is she going to try to repackage herself a little bit as somebody who is more unifying, which has kind of been a criticism of her that she's divisive. And to me, she really went with a persona that has been the Warren brand all the way through. I mean, she came off as an academic. This is a video that had a lot of charts in it, a lot of graphs and charts. And as a fighter, putting the blame of the plight of the middle class squarely on not just Donald Trump, but the Republican agenda since Ronald Reagan. It's about her, her taking on a deregulatory agenda that, you know, quite frankly, she has legitimately been fighting her, her entire career. And that's really the case that she was making. And what does that video tell you about, like, what wing of the party she represents? She is all economic populism. And she talks about economic populism in a way where she's trying to appeal to both the kind of white voters of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, but she also is very careful to try to incorporate the minority, the African-American and Hispanic experience into that frame. And it's it's a difficult thing to do. Sometimes Bernie Sanders really struggled with it. 
you know, Bernie Sanders tended to believe that economic inequality was the root of all problems, whether you're black or white. Everyone is being hurt kind of the same way by Wall Street and the big banks. But Warren goes out of her way to acknowledge that no, blacks and Hispanics have had an additional problem. Working families today face a lot tougher path than my family did. And families of color face a path that is steeper and rockier, a path made even harder by the impact of generations of discrimination. Whether or not that is going to work and it will indeed appeal to African-Americans um, is a big question about her candidacy. And then the other issue that that obviously has been a big problem for Elizabeth Warren recently has been this DNA thing. The fact that she had a DNA test that suggested that she might have had a Native American ancestor, but the fact that she announced it to people rubbed a lot of folks the wrong way. So where does that fit into her announcement? Um, well, <laughs> she definitely did not include anything about the DNA test in her announcement. And I believe that her team is hoping this will not be part of the conversation much longer. That might be a little optimistic on her part. The issue that she faces is this. Many, many African-American voters were introduced to her the first time because of this DNA test that African-American leaders, many of them believed was offensive. So she has a lot of work to do with this community. Now, she acknowledged that she needs to do that work, and um, I think you'll see her making a particular effort, and, and I think you'll see all of the candidates making a particular effort to African-American voters, because there is this acknowledgement of how important they are um, in the Democratic primary process. Why is it so important for Elizabeth Warren and for other Democrats who are, who are going to be running in the primaries, for them to be winning over Black voters in particular and, and people of color generally? Well, it's, it's interesting, right? So the primary process starts with um, the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary. These are two of the whitest states in the country. And so in, in these two contests, the African-American vote isn't that important. But immediately after you leave New Hampshire, that flips on its head. And you all of a sudden go into the set of states where African-American voters, you know, in South Carolina make up something along the lines of, you know, more than 60% of the vote. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but if you look at 2016, African-American voters made up, I believe it was 25% of the electorate in the Democratic primary. You cannot become the Democratic nominee without getting a huge number of African-American votes. And you saw, you saw that bear out in... in um, in 2008, where Obama was able to attract African-American voters, you saw it again in 2016, where African-American voters stopped Bernie Sanders in his tracks. I mean, they were Clinton's firewall, and he was unable to get them to, to support him. He was unable to communicate with them, and that ensured that he would not have a nomination. So I think that every single candidate is aware of that dynamic in the party. And I think it's only growing. I mean, you look at the midterms where there was so much energy for minority candidates and you had this sort of particularly energized group of minority voters. Interesting. And so the question is whether she can tap into that. Right. Yeah. Can she tap into that, especially in a field that is likely to include two, if not more, black candidates and per perhaps four or five candidates of color. I mean, we are looking at potentially the most diverse 
field um, that the Democratic Party has ever seen. So let's talk a little bit more about that field. What can we expect for the next few weeks as that field starts to take shape? I mean, announcement after announcement after announcement. (laughs) I think we're on the beginning of a long drum roll of announcements. Um, And and then there's going to be some storming that starts going on. And already there's sort of a top tier of six or seven candidates who are the biggest names. But I'm quite interested in, like, who's going to catapult themselves in from the, like, far flung reaches of the, you know, 30 some odd other names that are kind of floating around out there. And how will that sorting process work out? Because it's, I think the first Democratic primary debate is going to be in June. So there will be a while before there's even any sort of public forum to start ranking these candidates. Yes, that's true. Um, But I think this gives people a chance to do their tours of the country, to generate some sort of viral moment. And I think that's the like fun of the next few months is it's like unstructured. So, I mean, this will be a, a really interesting time to see like who can do it and who can. And I, I bet there will be some surprises there along the way. Thank you so much for talking to us, Annie. Oh, thank you. Every year around New Year's, The Post publishes The List. It's one of our oldest traditions, and it basically forecasts what will be out and what will be in during the course of the new year. The tradition started more than 40 years ago, and back then, it was more about what you should and shouldn't wear. So The List began when the fashion editor of The Post, Nina Hyde, decided that it would be fun to come up with a list of things that people should avoid for 1978 and things that people should wear and think about. My name is Yura Conscious, and I'm a reporter here at The Washington Post, and I've been here since 1976. In this list, it's interesting when I look back on it now, Annie Hall was in, and The Great Gatsby was out. Annie Hall was Diane Keaton's role, of course, where she wore pants and loose white shirts and vests and weird hats. I remember that as being sort of a popular trend. We've come a long way since then. And so has our list. It now includes all the things, from science to sports to politics to food, just about anything. (laughs) Peanut milk is in and oat milk is out. Glitter lips are in and matte lips are out. Got it. Let's see. I do not know who Michelle Buteau is, and she's in, and I do not know who Aquafina is. I thought I thought that was a brand of water, but it's spelled A W K W A F I N A. So, I'm out I'm out there. The baby boomers would not know what that is. We got this assignment for the first time. This is the first time either of us is yes. doing the list, right? I'm Sonia Rao. I'm a pop culture reporter here at The Post. Um, I write a lot about movies, but, you know, all pop culture is my thing. And I'm Elahe Azadi. I'm a pop culture writer at The Post, um, covering all things pop culture. I like to focus on comedy, among other things. One of the first things we did was the day after we returned from Thanksgiving, we went to a Barnes & Noble. They still exist. (laughs) In Virginia. In Virginia. We had to go out to the Virginia. <laughs> and we grabbed a bunch of magazines 
um, and just spent the day going through magazines. What was it like? Men's Health, Wired. There were definitely magazines I would never pick up off the shelf were I to be in a supermarket or anything of that sort. It was sort of like just trying to soak in these trends. And I think that a fun part of working on this has been just because of where my desk is situated in the newsroom, there's a lot of foot traffic. So this is a prime location because Sonia sits near the very busy staircase. It's prime sometimes. (laughs) Prime sometimes. A lot of people are in a big meeting right now, the 4 o'clock meeting, but... You know, when our very smart and important colleagues walk by, we can start harassing them and pulling them aside and asking them for ideas. Oh, we're doing the list. Come over. Oh, God. <laughs> Teddy. List ideas? And so it's been a lot of people walking by. They see us sitting together. They know we're working on the list. So, you know, they swing by. They say, oh, can I take a look? Like, what's on the list right now? Do you want to weigh in on this one? How? Very senior White House official in individual one. Individual one is definitely in. Do you know what the list is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't ask you. Do you have any ideas in your corner of the world of religion? Yeah. Ooh, let me think. So I'll read the outs. And I will read the ins. Keep Portland weird. Keep Crystal City weird. Concerned Jeff Flake. Concerned Mitt Romney. So we have Concerned Jeff Flake out, Concerned Mitt Romney in. Because Mitt Romney is going to be the new, very concerned Republican in the Senate who is concerned about what's happening in the Trump White House. And he's replacing Jeff Flake in that role. And then we have out oat milk, very popular dairy alternative. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for the in, we have peanut milk. Sorry if you have allergies. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> but it'll be around, we think. And then we have the pairing of Noah Centineo as out. I appreciate it, but it's never going to happen. And Charles Melton as in. Let's settle this once and for all. Uh, so Noah really broke out this year in To All the Boys I've Loved Before. He's been, you know, heralded as this new rom-com star. He's like a very little, young Mark Ruffalo. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of been the defining narrative uh, for the start of his career. And as an in, we have Charles Melton. Um, he's kind of gotten the beginnings of the press coverage that's like, here's your new heartthrob. Um, so we'll see if it picks up in 2019. We think it will. So he's going to be the new internet boyfriend, you think? He's yes. going to be, yeah. I think there's a tier. I think there's like the everybody internet boyfriend and there's like the teens through early 30s internet boyfriend Ooh, okay. I think he reaches that demographic I've thought a lot about this clearly <laughs> <laughs> and then we have our detectives so we have true detective out uh, detective Pikachu in so true detective is coming back in January uh, with Mahershala Ali which is very exciting was just a case when I caught it uh, Detective Pikachu has a much later release date. Um, it is very exciting. Pika Pika! Yeah! Pika Pika Pika, he's adorable. You're adorable. They can't understand me, kid. Pikachu is furry and I think voiced by Ryan Reynolds, which is very interesting. Um, so next, Super Bowl halftime show uh, is out. out. Democratic primary debates are in. Um, so, you know, the defining narrative, I think, of this Super Bowl halftime show has been, it's kind of like the Oscars host thing, honestly. It's like the gig that nobody wants. Mm-hmm. Um, Maroon 5, I'm pretty sure, uh, will be doing it. Um, but there's kind of, you know, there's been a lot of talk about who's going to join them. Uh, Cardi B has been on the fence for, I think, months now. Um, Travis Scott, most recently, was also in talks. You know, there's these stories of Jay-Z telling him not to do it. Not to do it. Which and Jay-Z Rihanna. has rapped about, too. Rihanna said no in support of Colin Kaepernick. 
Um, so there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. But the thing people will be watching come this summer, the Democratic primary debates. I know it's only 2019, but it's starting. And if you remember the last presidential election, it was basically going to be the flip. With the Republican primary debates, those started so early. They had so many of these debates. Kind of so many people on screen. So many people. <laughs> so on many screen. people. Thank you. Please go to your podiums. That was awkward enough. Let's uh, let's get you. You know the kitty table, all of that, and mm-hmm. also the ratings were pretty good. So yeah. this will be the next big event people will watch. So okay, this might be our most controversial one on first blush when you read it okay <laughs> Meghan Markle out we're not saying you know that Meghan Markle is not important that you can't love her it's just she had a really big year she's doing a lot she's doing <laughs> a, a lot, lot happening there there's a lot happening there <laughs> and what we'll be in is Meghan Markle's baby and I mean that's the nature of royalty right when right. a baby comes on the scene it's all about the baby yeah. next generation and then next 70s tailoring out 90s grunge in Yes, which I am actually really sad about. <laughs> but 70s tailoring is all about, you know, it's wide legs, it's free spirits. You know, you wear drapey clothes that feel really good. Uh, 90s grunge is also fun. I do enjoy. Uh, There's bagginess there. There is a bagginess there. You know, we're not like early 2000s yet, which I hope never Thank comes God. back. Yes, no. <laughs> Next up, this might be troubling to people. The sun is out and a black hole is in. And that actually has to do with the first images we're receiving. In 2019, we should be getting our first images of a black hole. And we've already just received some of the first images from inside the solar atmosphere. So the next big thing is going to be photos of black holes. You know, once this thing is published, I'm going to put it up on the wall near my desk. I'm going to pay attention to what predictions came true. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I'll just say like, I feel like we haven't really disagreed on anything. Which makes me feel confident, right? You're a conscious who worked on the very first in and out list, writes about design for The Post. This year's list writers, Alahe Azadi and Sonia Rao, cover pop culture. You can find the full list at WashingtonPost.com slash PostReports. And now, one more thing from Post Culture writer Jeff Edgers. The story behind a New Year's Eve party playlist staple, one of the most iconic pop songs of all time. You know Nile Rodgers from Chic. He and Bernie Edwards created Freak Out, or Le Freak as it's really called, and all that amazing music, disco, funk, pop, everything. In 1979, Barbara Streisand and Diana Ross were the two biggest female acts that had ever existed. People don't realize that's my first record with a big star. The story I asked him to tell me was how he got his inspiration for Diana Ross's massive anthem, I'm Coming Out. The story starts in a popular drag bar. I was at the bathroom, standing in the urinal, and I look on either side of me and at least three deep, because it was packed in there, and they were all Diana Ross impersonators. So you just heard the lyric in your head, or the sound, or what? I didn't hear anything except for the concept of I'm coming out, the words. The name of the song had to be I'm coming out. So I went outside to the telephone. He woke up his musical partner, Bernie Edwards. And I called him. Uh, what's up? I said, just write this down because I know I'm going to get drunk and by the morning I'm going to forget this. I says, 
if we could show Diana Ross's alignment with the gay community. He says, I, I, I don't get it. I says, dude, I said, think about this. James Brown singing, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Diana Ross walking out on the stage going, I'm coming out. Like, how amazing would that be? And he started laughing. He said, I get it. I said, well, write it down so I don't forget. He wrote it down, and the next day he came to the studio, and we turned it into a song. That's it for Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back next year with more stories from the Washington Post. Post Reports is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post brand studio. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.